0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Tim Norton. Tim had a near-death experience, and during his experience, he went to different places and in different times, and today we're going to learn about it. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Jeff. Thank you.
0: As you may or may not know, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So, if you don't mind, can we start on the day yours happened and go from there?
1: Well, um, like like everybody else's, mine's kind of unique. I haven't heard one quite like it. Um, I started off the year 2021 um, in a in a very good place. So we, my wife and I, had been traveling. Uh, I'm a photographer and taking pictures at different places. Uh, I was riding my bike, my bicycle, some 15, 20 miles a day. I was eating right. I felt great. Um, I felt, uh, very content with my life and what was going on, the trajectory of it. And, uh, it was the, the year started off wonderful. I couldn't, I couldn't ask for better. And, um, in March early March I went out for a ride it was a beautiful day I came home and I had some pain in my chest and my wife and I talked about I was having trouble breathing and we concluded that it had to be COVID because a heart attack just wasn't on the radar it couldn't be a heart attack you know not for me maybe somebody else but not for me I was in great shape and uh So we approached it as if I had COVID and, you know, to lay down, stay hydrated. Uh, I had a little breathing device when I had bronchitis one year and uh, releases a little bit of steam. I'm breathing it and I'm trying to help myself as best I can. But later that night I collapsed and my wife's asking me questions and I'm incoherent. I can't, I can't answer the questions or I answer them wrong. And she calls the ambulance ambulance comes gets me she says i'll follow you to the hospital in the truck they said no get in the ambulance he might not make it got me to the hospital i had 100 percent blockage in one of the chambers of my heart and uh they decided that the best thing they could do was to insert some stints into that chamber to get the blood flowing again While I was in surgery, I don't know if it was the anesthesia or whatever happened, but while I was in surgery, I had a stroke on top of it. So here I was having a heart procedure done. I have a stroke. They take me out of surgery and I never come to. I'm in a coma. I'm in a coma for two weeks. Um, Things were really bad. I had everything in the world could go wrong. I had, uh, Multiple organ failure, internal bleeding. They had to do a tracheotomy on me. Um, they didn't know if I had brain waves left. They started calling my wife and she saved the messages. The hospital was requesting her to sign a do not resuscitate order. And they said, you know, there's a good chance he's probably not going to make it. He's not going to live. And even if he does live, he'll never be the same. He'll be in maybe permanent full-time care. Um, Somebody else is going to have to take care of him. This is the best thing to do. You know, give him some dignity, let him go. Over this time period, I had flatline three different times. I had three near deaths uh, or three deaths, really, where I had no heart activity, no blood um, going anywhere, no oxygen in my blood. Uh, My toes actually turned black because of the heart failure. So I'm in a coma, in ICU for two weeks. They intubated me. They put a tube down my throat, um, which I was having a hard time with. I guess I was kind of fighting it subconsciously or whatever. They ended up doing a tracheotomy so they could get the tube out of my mouth and put it down right directly into my lungs. And uh, for two weeks, I was in this suspended state of, I was sleeping with life and death in the same bed. I, you know, I, my heart kept stopping. They used the paddles to bring me back. Um, and they insisted this that the, the do not resuscitate was the best thing that she could do for me. And, she, and God bless her. She was there 12 hours a day. She drove an hour and a half back and forth to this hospital and she really just took charge. She told the nurses, he needs this. He's, you know, the alarm's going off, the lights on, whatever. He needs help, help, help. For uh, two weeks, she did this for me. And uh, she told them, I'll never sign a do not resuscitate order. I don't care if you have to breathe your last breath into him, you keep him alive. And that's basically how it went. So for two weeks, I was completely unconscious. And as I, finally regained consciousness and I could hear people talking to me and they'd say squeeze my finger or whatever I knew how to do it and and I was taken out of ICU and put into a regular hospital room it took a couple days for me to come out of that fog that I was in during the coma when these experiences happened when I died and um, it started to come back to me slowly it didn't come rushing back all at once and I think I don't know, and I and I couldn't find other people that had the exact same experience, but I I think being in a coma when I had when I flatlined when I when I did die, it gave my subconscious or my mind or whatever an opportunity to kind of process it, to um to let it marinate a little bit, you know, in between events. And so when I came back as it came back to me, it came, it was so, everything was so clear and so vivid. And I remembered as if it was branded into me that I, that each individual event. And I remember the funny part was I not funny at all, but I remember having dreams during this time too, but they were different events. You know, they were more like regular dreams where it's, it's, it's kind of chaotic. It's not sequential. It's kind of scattered. Oh, there's that guy from high school. Oh, there's my mom. Oh, there's my old car. You know, it was, the experiences weren't like that. They were, they made sense and they were sequential. Um, I questioned a lot of things later on, but while they were happening, I didn't question anything. I just went with it. So it took, like I said, it took a couple of days for me to come out of that fog and start to realize it. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't I didn't really understand it at all. i was I was still kind of woozy. But as the days went by, it started to become clearer, these thoughts, these memories, these visions, these hallucinations, whatever we call them. I don't know' I don't, and that's part of the problem is as I try to describe this, I tried to write about it, and I have written about it, is there's a lot of vocabulary. That isn't there to describe a lot of this stuff. You know, we do the best we can. We use the words that we have, but but I'll, I'll get into that later. That some of it is just there's no real description. There's no word that suits it or fits it. You know, there's a stand-in that we can use. But I, I end up spending uh, almost sixty days in that hospital, and I was tied to this bed. Um, there's an alarm on the bed, on these beds. And if you get up out of the bed, the alarm goes off, the lights start flashing, the nurses come running. You know, you're not allowed out of this bed. You're, you're stuck there. And uh, I, I lived with that for two months. And these things in my head that just were just kind of percolating, it was slow, there was bits and pieces, there was things forming and by the time I had finally gotten out of that hospital, and it was like I said, two months later, I remember driving home. I remember going out of that hospital the first day. It was just a sunny day. It was I hadn't felt the sun on me in, in months, and it was just beautiful out. And talking to my wife and telling her, I just want to put all of this behind me. I don't wanna, I don't wanna write about it. I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to tell anybody about it. It just was something that was that happened that was weird. I don't understand. I can't get my mind around it. And I, I just assume, let it fade into the rearview mirror and move on with my life. I want to get back to where I was. I started out there great. Everything was wonderful. I want to get back to that point where I feel good. I'm healthy. I'm eating right. I'm doing all the things I need to do to take care of myself. And uh, the first month that I was home, I was... Just shot. I couldn't. I didn't have the strength to really walk to go get a bottle of water. It was difficult to go to the bathroom. Just to get up and walk to the bathroom was twenty-five feet away. Um, When I was walking, I was using a walker, which was horrible. I I thought it was horrible. It was helpful, but I just thought it was horrible. And it took that first month of just zero energy, zero strength, zero stamina before I started and get my feet under me again. And I could start to walk without the walk or I could do certain things. I could walk down the street without it. You know, not very far, but I could walk. And so physically, I started to come back together. And I remember before I left the hospital, asking the nurses and asking the physical therapist and even asking a doctor, what are the chances that when I get out of here, since I've been here two months, that I'm going to have physical problems that haven't declared themselves yet, that I don't know about yet. Maybe it's my, you know, the people like have a bad back or bad hip or whatever, bad shoulder, um, things that are going to be wrong that I don't, I haven't discovered yet. I haven't, they haven't declared themselves. And they gave a typical medical question. Well, you know, some people, blah, blah, blah. Some people do, some people don't, whatever. But as I physically got, got to be stronger, in about three months, it took me before I finally sort of had the wind at my back, you know, the wind in my sails. I was starting to feel a little bit like my old self. I was stronger. I was able to do more. I was had more stamina. I was up more of the day instead of just being in bed. And uh, I thought, "Wow, I got this licked. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be better than I was before. I'll be healthy again. It's going to happen." But what I didn't count on was all of these experiences started to declare themselves. They, as if they had a mind of their own, they were not going to be dismissed. And, it, and it, trying to forget about it was useless. It was on my, It was constantly tapping me on the shoulder. Hey, what about this thing? What do you want to do with this thing? What are you going to do about this thing? You know, these experiences, I couldn't, it wasn't like I had to scream fire, but I I had this message in me that for whatever reason it was growing and growing strong. As I was getting physically stronger, mentally, it was getting stronger. It was taken over. And I, and I finally got to the point where I said, I have to do something about it. And I talked to my doctor and he suggested a therapist. Um, I never followed through on that. I just, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not really crazy. I don't, I don't, I need a doctor. I don't need a therapist. Um, But my wife was so traumatized by the whole experience. She didn't want to talk about it. And so I felt like I had to do something. And, and I appreciate guys like you, because this is, I hate to say part of my therapy, but this is how I'm going to cope with it. I wrote about it. Um, I've done another podcast. I've been invited on a couple other ones. And talking about it sort of helps me to be able to confront it. And there's some issues in there that I want to put out. And I'll I'll talk about that in a little while. That there were individuals that were in my experience that I don't know who they were. But I'm hoping somewhere out there is a connection because they're notable people. They're not just uh, just some random guy on the street. There's uh, examples of things that they've done. And I'm hoping that somehow this message, if you want to call it that, gets out, people hear it and think, wow, that's at least comforting to know that once we die, we don't get locked away in a black box. And uh, it's, you know, there is, it's is, you're not in nothing. In my case, in my experience, it's it was a continuation. My life kept going. It was a different form or a different realm, but it was me and it kept, my life kept going. It was just a continuation. And uh, I've had an interest in, in Native Americans for a while. And there's and one tribe in particular, Lakota Indians, and they have a saying for it that, that their death is is a walk-on. You just walk on to a different realm. And that really is what it felt like. Um, the most One of the most powerful ones... Like I'm taking up all the space here, but uh, one of the, one of the most powerful ones is when I first became conscious that I first became conscious of that happened first in this series of events took place in a 14th century Peruvian Catholic basilica, and I was brought in. I don't really know how I got there, but I was picked up and put onto granite tables an old granite building I was put on a granite table, kind of like almost look like an altar, but like a surgery table, an ancient surgery table or something. An Italian nun came up to me, she looked me over real quick, did quick assessment, and then took out a tool kind of like a Dremel. And I'm laying on the bed and I'm watching her. And she starts to cut into my neck. And It's like a two-inch hole saw. and When she does this, the next second, I'm standing next to her, watching her do this to me. It's me that's there on the table, and it's me standing next to her. And we're not two different people. It's it's the same person, but looking at it from two different – I'm not looking at her while I'm on the table. I don't remember looking at her, but I remember standing next to her And she takes out a plug she has an assistant, a much younger assistant with her. And she says, assistant asked her, do they all have fire inside of them? And she said, the ones we get do. It appeared to be like a small, almost like a bicycle wheel with spokes and it was spinning inside and it had electrical sparks flying off of it and small bursts of fire. And that's what she was referring to, that they all have fire and the nun, the older nun, takes two different little tools. She puts them into my neck, and she's fidgeting around. with My time's kind of compressed and decompressed in certain parts of this, so I don't really know how long this goes on for. But I, I look, and the, the wheel is uh, symmetrical now. The electricity makes sense. It's flowing. The flames are uh, not chaotic. They're in some kind of symmetry. And she walks away. And the younger nurse pulls me off the table and puts me onto another table in the same room. It's, it's a big room. It's not the church part of the church, but it's a big room. And it's just it's all huge granite stones. And I'm laying on this table. I feel no pain. I feel no worry. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not scared. I'm not questioning anything. I'm not wondering why is this happening? One thing I don't know though is when I was in the hospital. When they did the tracheotomy, when they did the surgery, when they did the intubation, when they did all these things, when I had the stroke, did any of these things line up with what was happening in the hospital? And I, I, I have no way to verify it. I don't know. But it almost felt like that. It was almost like a tracheotomy type operation that she did. So I'm laying on the table, I guess recovering, but I feel fine. I no pain, like I said. No worries, no fear, I'm perfectly comfortable. And I hear the younger girl who's, I guess, a nurse or taking care of me or whatever, caretaker. <clears throat> she's not looking at me. She's not talking. But her words are firing off in my head. And she's explaining that this church was built in the 1300s and it was designed by so-and-so and it's a famous blah, 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 blah. And I remember all the words she said. But she's doing it telepathically. She doesn't. It's, she doesn't talk to me, but I'm, I'm, her words are all registering in my mind while she's, for lack of a better word, saying this to me. And so I'm on this yeah, on this table, recovering, listening to her, um, giving me the rundown on the church and where I'm at. That's how I found out I was even in Peru. And they originally was a, called the Basilica. That was a word I didn't, wasn't really in my vocabulary. And, uh, one of the first people, when I came to in the hospital, when I gained consciousness and, and I started having therapy sessions, they so I had a speech therapist, my voice is still pretty, pretty rough. And I lost some decibels in the process. Um, so I had a speech therapist and her and I were kind of friendly. I mean, she was very nice. I got along with her very well. And, uh, and I basically just would sit and chit chat, you know. And I so I started telling her this story. And it was about this point that I see in the corner of this basilica. There's four little children playing. as little kids do, small kids. And I have four grandsons. I explained this to her between 18 months and four years old. And they're about that age. The sort of the profile of them appears to be them in retrospect at the time i can't really identify them because it's kind of dark and I, i can hardly see i can hear them a little bit and they're playing and and i thought it was just sentimental those were my grandsons you know i sort of they were on my mind whatever she says no those babies were your angels that's who saved you is those babies and i thought wow i love your story i love that story better than the one that that really happened to me I don't know about that. Maybe somebody, like some listeners, know do angels cross over to that realm? You know, we hear about them in 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 this life, but I I don't know that I've heard of them in uh, after death experience. And and one but coming out of coming back to consciousness and all these things coming back to me, I just. I remember the feeling, the sensation of the nurse comes in. I got to draw blood. I got to take your vitals. I got to do this. Is is? Oh, I don't. I don't want to do this. You know, I'm going to have here. I am schlepping life again. I don't. You know, I, I got to go to the DMV, register the car. I got to go. You know, pay the electricity bill. Blah blah blah. I don't, don't want to do it. I want to go back there. I want. I don't want to be here. And, and that was really a powerful feeling that after coming from the place that was where I didn't I didn't have to question anything, whatever happened just happened. It was whatever was next was just next. That's all there was. and it didn't matter whether you like it or you didn't like it. it would just it just was. There was nothing to be afraid of. there was nothing to worry about. And I remember most of the time not even there were no thoughts in my head. I didn't think. I didn't have to think ahead like uh, when I, sit here and I talk to you. I have to, you know, sort of tee up the next thing in my head. I'm thinking like we like we do, like humans do. We constantly think. We think ourselves crazy, but I'm not thinking. I'm not worried about it. I'm not questioning things. Things don't make sense in hindsight, but at the time, okay, this is it. This is what's happening. This is this is. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to go with it, you know. And it was sort of that whole go with the flow that really had a nice, warm feeling to it. And uh, and I was in there for a while. It was like I said, this was a really powerful experience. Had a giant archway out to what was kind of like a patio or a deck, is sort of a castle-like structure built onto this. And I remember going out there. And a couple of things happened. It was a full moon against the Pacific Ocean. I was overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean was dead still. It was like a mirror. It was so clear. It was bright orange light, and I follow it up with my eyes, and it's it's a moon. It's like a giant orange moon just above the waterline. And there's also something. Some of the some of the questions. I probably should write down some of the questions that I have. But there's a statue on this patio, deck, or whatever you want to call it. And it's and it's huge. It's 12, 15 feet tall. And uh it's a woman, and she's got a, like a white robe with red trim on it, and sort of a blue headdress with kind of jewels around it. And I don't know who she is, but she catches my attention and I look at her and I'm, you know, noticing her. And uh my wife later on brought finally brought my laptop to the hospital when I was able to use it. And uh, I looked it up as best I can, as best I could. And the only thing I found that matched it was the Greek goddess Calliope. And she is the mother of all, they call her the mother of all muses. She's the goddess of artistry, music, writing, uh, speech, writing, fine art, whatever. These uh, music, I think I said that. And, uh, And when I got out of the hospital, one of the things I noticed as I started to come back together, as I started to get the wind at my sails, is when I wrote or when I did things, it felt like some of my creativity, some of my inspiration just wasn't there anymore, you know? I don't know how to explain it, but everybody has, when they write things, they have their own sort of style to it or, you know... uh, panache i don't know what you want to call it but it just i felt like i that part was that part of me was missing and i made that connection in my mind um why would that happen why would somebody want to sap that away so i never i never understood that and i still haven't really come to an answer on that um but those are the last memories of that place.
0: All right, let me ask a few questions before, you, sure. before we go into the next one. First, I want to say thank you for sharing your experience with us. Have you tried Googling that basilica and seeing if you could find it in Peru?
1: I did, and I found one that actually had a statue of Calliope on it, but it wasn't in that location. It didn't overlook the Pacific. And I, God, I, can't, I, I, I think I copied and saved the image, but I can't find it now. I got a new computer, and... I transferred all the pictures and I can't find any of my pictures. I'm, I'm just, you know, it's like this transcendental filing system. I can't find it, but mm-hmm. I have pictures of her, but I can't find where I, so I have to kind of start that all over again. It was really, was a tough process mm-hmm. to find it. There's a couple famous ones, but there's a, a dozen or so very small little basilicas that were built in the 1300s, 1400s. And, uh, and it was kind of difficult to even find it to begin with. And one of them did have a statue of Calliope. And I can't remember the name of It's it on my hard drive somewhere. Someday I'll pull it back. I'll find it now.
0: It's interesting because Peru, in my opinion, was settled by the Spanish. And right. Why would they have a Greek statue out there?
1: Right, right. All of these things, all of these things. And I don't know the time period either. I just remember the nurse telling me, that it was built in the 1300s and it was designed or whatever. And, and I, you know, that sort of fades away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I was kind of overwhelmed by the words just coming into my head and
0: not talking what? to me. I was going to say that I think it's possible that the children that you saw playing could have been angels. I mean, why not? And if you're why in, not? if you're in another yeah. realm, I think they would exist more in that realm than in our 3d world here. think yeah i i don't know because i'd never heard of it before
1: you know i hear i know people it's not really something that i actually unless i don't believe in it but um it's not really ingrained in me you know that i'm looking for an angel or i've had angels help me or whatever you know it's i know of it but i don't know it intimately so it was kind of a surprise but i liked the way that she said it and she was sincere you know
0: do you feel, though, that this experience is different from your dreams at the time? Yeah, I did because just because, like when I said the, she had a
1: white robe with red trim and blue headdress and there was like uh, sapphires and emeralds on on the headband part of the headdress, whatever, um, things like that weren't what's normally in a dream. You know, I mean, it just it had a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. I remember walking by, it was a fire pit and feeling the warmth from the fire on me. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall that ever happening in a dream that you could, you would feel hot or cold and the colors were that, that, that vivid, everything was so clear. Um, so it's, it had a sort of different quality to it, you know, sort of a film versus video sort of thing. I don't, I don't know how to describe that, but
0: has the experience faded over time or is it still as real today as it was when it happened it's still mostly
1: as real as when it happened there's parts that I haven't really been able to um, find a way to present them Um, you know there's they're not crazy and it's not just outlandish it's just I don't understand it why did it happen like that (laughs) Um, and that's some this is parts that I, I haven't really talked about them because for the specific reason that it, I don't even understand it. I don't understand why it happened like that. And uh, and some of it was modern times. It, it was this day and age mm. because I struggled for a long time with a, a disease <laughs> called chronic pancreatitis, and it was very painful. I spent a lot of time in the hospital, lost a lot of weight, almost died a couple of times with that, and that came up in one of these experiences, hmm. and uh, yeah, it was mo- this was the modern day one. And I think what happened was they had put a uh, feeding tube; they put it right into my stomach, and I think that that caused me an episode of pancreatitis. And it just overwhelmed me; it took over. You know they're they're enormously painful. It's the most painful thing I've ever had happen. Hmm. And uh, they were feeding me through this tube for a couple of weeks, and uh, I think it was related to that, but I don't know. Again, I can't put them together. I can't connect the two.
0: Do you think that during your experience, you were an active participant, or you were there watching the experience go by, like as if you were watching a life review or a past life? I I was in the scene.
1: The scene was happening. I know, like when I said I was I was on the table and, and the and the nun was doing an operation or a procedure. I knew it was me on the table. I knew it was me standing next to her. And it was a, a feeling of, I know that you know that you know that I know that I know that, you know, we know this and, and we're in it and what's happening is just going to happen in this. There's, there's, you just, let's just go with it. You know, I mean, so it wasn't, I wasn't really. Uh, I was participating because I was there, but I didn't really give anything any direction. It mm-hmm. it it just what was going to happen was going to happen, and I, it was sort of really the experience of acceptance of just here I am. This is what's happening, and what's going to be next is going to be next, and that's all there is to that. That's mm-hmm. nothing I can do about it. So it, it's it was a sort of a that 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 feeling that. I was safe. I didn't feel threatened. I didn't have to worry. I wasn't in fear. But I was just kind of there. You know, nobody was really asking me questions. Nobody was, even for the most part, talking to me. I was just there through this, this whole thing. It was really just me. And I remember just standing looking at the moon for it felt like hours. But it was a great feeling. It was wonderful. It was joyous. I felt very comfortable um and like I said, when I came when I came back to consciousness, I, remember, I i just remember being happy and enjoying it and not wanting to go back and do this other
0: stuff again. I don't I, I didn't want to do it, right, you know. couldn't it was it wasn't going to be denied and I don't
1: know it's not like I don't really have a word for it it wasn't really a compulsion and it wasn't an alarm that I needed to sound it was like something that was inside of me that that I had to get out it had to. it had to come out I had I, had, I don't know why and again this has been I've got it's just been seven months since I got out of the hospital mm-hmm. I'm doing i'm doing pretty good pretty darn good doctors are happy with everything yeah. physically mentally i still have some issues and i and it's it's still it's still there it's 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 not gonna just fade into the mirror like i had hoped i'd originally hoped that this would uh i'd be down the road and, and it would fade and i would just you know not deal with it or you know maybe talk about it in 10 years from now mm-hmm. oh by the way mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't going to let me it was it was it was just too close to the surface and it needed to come out somehow and this is this is my way of coping with it as best i can i don't really know i don't know the answers and I, like i said my doctor suggested a therapist and i may end up doing that mm-hmm. but uh, i haven't done it yet and uh mm-hmm. the what here's something interesting i hope i don't i don't want to offend anybody i don't want to do, don't say anything crazy but after I'd been out of the hospital and I was feeling good within the last couple of months, um, I ate some uh I had some magical medicine, some some mushrooms that that a lot of details when I took them came rushing back to me. Little things, but pieces that were kind of missing along the way came rushing back to me. So that was really a strange experience. I just, you know, was getting ready right for bed, go laying down, going to go to sleep and all of a sudden, it was like boom, you know, came back and hit me. And I just was like, oh my God, I'd completely forgotten about that.
0: Wow. Have, yeah. Have you considered getting hypnotherapy?
1: I would consider it. I would consider it. Um, a lot of it's really pleasant. A lot of it was really a, a nice experience. People were nice. I didn't feel threatened. I didn't, I didn't, the nice part was not, I, I use the word. I, and I don't even know if I use this right because, I'm, I'm you know, my metaphysics or I don't even know what they are. I'm not religious and just a regular guy. But I use this that I didn't have an ego. None of it really, even though it was me and I was in the scene, it wasn't about me. It wasn't just me. It wasn't. I didn't have to worry about me like we normally do. You know, oh, my God, what if this? What if that? What What about that? What about this? I was just there. And, and, and things were unfolding, and I was unfolding with them. I was just going with it, whatever it was. And so it's, it's that's as best I can describe it. Again, I don't really know the words. And, and I don't know. One of the things that's really been puzzling me is when it happens, and it happens to everybody, and everybody who it's happened to knows this, that there was a period of time. It could have been 30 seconds, could be a minute, could be 10 minutes, could be an hour, could be nine, whatever, however long it is. There's a space there. There's a space that exists that you were in. And it wasn't this. It wasn't what we do day to day, you know, pay the electricity bill, go to Walmart, you know, put air in the tires, whatever. It wasn't that. It was a different realm and it, and it exists. It's real. And. Like I talked, like I mentioned about the Lacona Indians, as you said, they just walk on, they just keep walking and they walk into a different realm. And uh, there's a great Bob Dylan quote, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, but there's a great Bob Dylan quote. Somebody had asked him, um, What made you decide on the name Bob Dylan? And some people had thought it was because of Dylan Thomas, whatever, because his name was actually Robert Zimmerman. So he chose Bob Dylan. And he said, I'm just Bob Dylan for now. Bob Dylan has been around long before I was born. and It'll be long, around long after I die. And I sort of adopted that into this experience for myself. I felt like when I died, it was just, I didn't die. It just continued onto the next realm and it kept going. And that was just, that was in Peru. And then it went on to Korea and then it went to Louisiana and then it went to California um it's just it keeps going and and the peru part could have been 200 years ago i don't know the year and nobody told me but they weren't they didn't have electrical lights or anything so who knows how long ago it was but i i feel that way that our life isn't we don't we don't have a life we are life we just keep going and i think that's part of what when i say this message it's whatever that's in me, that's got to come out. I think that that's my interpretation of it is that when you die, you're not really going to die. You're going to keep going. You don't know it yet, but you're just going to keep going. It's going to be better than this. You're going to, you know, you're going to be happy. It'll be blissful. Trust me. It's going to be nice. And not just that it was going before you got here. So it's just this continuation you know, it just keeps it just keeps going. Um, Let's hear about what happened next. Okay, so so from there, the last thing I remember is looking at the Pacific Ocean, looking at the moon. Wow, this is fantastic! I can't believe it. The sky was so dark; it was purplish. And then, my next consciousness, like I'm in a Korean monastery. Never been to Korea. I don't speak Korean. I don't really understand this part. I don't know what time period it is. It seems similar to the one I just came from. Um, I'm in a monastery. There's a lot of people meditating. I'm expected to meditate, to be quiet, to just sit there and meditate with them. Um, Nobody speaks English. I don't speak any Korean. They talk to each other. I hear them speak Korean. I'm just there. And, And one day for whatever reason, I find myself working in the gift shop. You know, this monastery, as monasteries would, has a gift shop. And I get promoted, I guess, to this gift shop. And uh, I'm I'm working in I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm in there. It's almost like a store. Well, it is a store. And I remember asking this one guy who worked there who was Korean. I, I didn't feel like I was held there. I didn't feel like I wasn't free to go, but I didn't know how to go. I didn't know how to leave. I couldn't, I didn't see a door. I didn't see an exit. I felt out of place if I just started walking away from everybody. It was kind of structured. And uh, so he tells me in Korean, there's a door down the hall. Take that door, walk out to the yard, go across the garden, take a right. He tells me in Korean, but it translates in my head. I hear him saying Korean but the words are coming out or tr- being translated in my mind in English. And I don't understand that part either. No more than I did the nun who was talking and not looking at me And there. It was like telepathy, but this was like, not just telepathy, but my, he was actually talking to me. It was just a translation that went on in my mind. So I was able to leave. It. it was a pretty brief part and I had some significance to it, but I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. And uh, I was able to leave there. And when I left there, it was almost like a magic movie moment. We walk out of one scene and walk into another. And the next scene was 1920, Louisiana. Beautiful property. It's on like on a bayou. I think it's, a, there's a body of water there. I think it's the Mississippi, but I don't know for sure. And uh, I just, I recall a, a, a beautiful white Dusenberg with white interior parked on the lawn in front of this very humble little Victorian-style small house that's white with red trim, just like (coughs) in similar fashion what Calliope was wearing. She had white with red trim dress or jacket or whatever, robe, whatever. And uh, I, I find myself in there, and there's an older black gentleman. He's sitting on the bed, and he's talking to me. He's telling me about the cars that he has. I've always been a car guy, so I'm listening. And he explains to me, and this is is one part that I really kind of want to hit on. He explains to me that he has a 1920 Dodge. It's brand new. And he has the actual blueprints, the original blueprints for this car, for the transmission that he helped design. He designed this. He had a hand in it or was part of the team that designed it, whatever. And he has the blueprints to prove it and did I want to see it of course I wanted to see it and this scene my mom's there this is 1920 it's a 1920 Dodge it's 1920 my mom's in her mid 20s and her and I are visiting one another she's kind of tag along with me through this, this part of it but she wasn't born until 1945 or 44 or whatever but it doesn't occur to me to question that I don't. I don't you know, I don't, it just is. It's another thing that just is. And question it, it and wasn't going to make any sense either. And the thing, it, it didn't make sense to me. In, in hindsight, it doesn't make any sense at all. But at the time, it just was. It was what was next. And what was next was next. And that was it, whether I liked it or not. And so we go down to the car. He pulls out the blueprints. He rolls them out on the hood. They're in that old kind of blue, Engineering paper, whatever the drawings and nuts, the bolts, the lines and measurements. And he says, Do you want to take it for a beautiful 1920? It's a pale yellow. It's a convertible. It's got a white interior. Do you want to take it for a ride? Naturally, I say yes. My mother gets in. I get in, we drive the drive around the, the block, or not the block, the driveway. It's a long dirt road, his driveway. We come back. But here's the part that I think I'm hoping I can find a clue to or an answer is uh, is there somebody out there that knows a guy who worked for Dodge brothers in the 1918, 19, 1920 in that time period that had a hand in designing their new, whatever automatic transmission. It was some fabulous transmission that was supposed to be on this, this vehicle. I don't recall what, what he called it. but And I'm hoping maybe somebody will say, you know, my great grandfather, he worked at Dodge in 1919. He was in the transmission department. He helped design this transmission, you know, that somehow, because I don't know who he is. I don't recognize him. I don't think to ask, well, who are you? You know, what, what's, your, what's your name? What are your credentials? I just, he tells me and I say, okay, that's great. Wow, that's impressive. Very nice. And uh, so I think that I'm hoping that part, again, this this message that that won't stay put. Part of it is there's somebody, there's a link. There's somebody that's going to say, yes, I know who you're talking about. That was my great grandfather. That was my great uncle or whatever, you know. And and one of the things that I want to tell them is that he was very content. He was—he was very gracious. He was charming. He was happy. He was very pleased. He was generous. He was—he let me drive his brand new car. It had no miles on it. He'd never driven it. And—and mm-hmm. uh, and I came back with that message. And, and again, I don't know who he is, but I'm hoping to find that there's some connection somewhere, and some bring peace to somebody. You know, that's—that's a. That's, uh, The majority of that story, some of the other parts, again, is I I haven't really processed. I don't really understand. Um, My mom had asked me to take on a project. She's married to a doctor. He's retired now. He's a retired doctor, retired Navy commander. Would I take on a project to start a charity to promote his legacy? I don't know. I mean, him and I always had a strained relationship to begin with, so I didn't really understand that part. But would I do that for him and for her, really? While we're driving, she's telling me the story, asking me to do this favor for her. And that I would be compensated and so and so. But I and I don't give an answer because I don't understand it. I don't I don't I think, well, why, why would you want me to do it? I don't really, you know, I'm not your guy. <laughs> um but that was part of that story. It was interesting. She was in it, and I really kind of would like to see if I can find some tether. To this guy, I, I, I feel like there's something about him. Is it's part of this message that's part of why I'm even doing this to begin with. And why him of all people? I don't know. It's not any of my family. It's nobody I know. It's somebody famous. It's, or maybe he's a little bit famous. I don't know. But. um Yeah. It's sort of how that that part of it, 1920s, Louisiana went. It was beautiful. It was a sunny day. It was wonderful talking to him. Like I said, he was charming. He was generous. My mom was there. You know, her and I have always been on good terms. No strained relationship there. So it was nice to see her, even though
0: this was 20, 25 years before she was even born. So next you went to Los Angeles or
1: what? Well, I'm on the beach of California. This, this, this I haven't really, this is really a tough one to process. I mentioned earlier that I had um, problems with chronic pancreatitis. My pancreas is a mess. It's, it's not wired right. And the ducts are tangled and I have an extra duct in there that keeps clogging and my pancreas gets inflamed and I end up in the hospital. And it's just this horrible experience. But I went to UCLA a lot for treatment. Uh, They did stents, they did MRIs, they did different procedures, I had anesthesia, I had uh, endoscopies, they had all kinds of different work done at UCLA. And I'm in the beaches of California, like Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, whatever. And I get a message from UCLA that they found out what had caused all my problems. That it was from an oil rig offshore of California that leaked oil. And they found the DNA of the oil. I don't know if that's even possible. But they found the DNA of the oil exactly where it came from. And they know that that's the problem. And they notified the oil company. And the oil company is willing to step up and help you out and take care of you. Craziest thing ever. I don't really understand it. Um, and would I please not talk to the media? And then we'll send a, a person, a representative to help you. To take care of your needs, to be your caretaker, like a concierge or whatever. And she's coming to help you. And she does. And it goes on and she secures a place for whatever. But what's what, what, and I didn't want to talk about that because I really still don't understand it all. But something that happened this week came up. And again, it ties back into um, indigenous culture was where I saw it, somebody on an indigenous website posted that they had discovered that these oil wells off of California coasts had been leaking oil for all this time, and it was making people sick. And so relative to when this happens, this is the future. This is long before that announcement comes out. So when I talked about how it feels like time kind of moves around, it compresses, it decompresses, it's in different places. Some of it feels like past life regression. Some of it's today. It's almost like a premonition, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't understand it, but if that's sort of what it, when, when I saw that story, I was just it took my breath away. I thought, well, that was the vision that I had seven, eight months ago. And now, it's today it's breaking news, you know? And so I don't, I, there's more parts to it and it keeps, kind of keeps going. But again, it's the continuation of my life just kind of keeps going and that becomes a part of it. You know, the reason why I was so sick with this, it almost killed me, the pancreatitis problem. I lost 90 pounds at one point. Um, but that there was an answer for it. It wasn't just me, it was there was another answer to it. And this was the answer. But this was eight months before that news ever came out. So I don't know. How do I describe that? I mean, is it a premonition? Is it a vision? Is it a what? What do you call it? A hallucination?
0: Yeah. I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? Man? I believe that some people or some NDErs or near-death experiencers would say that over on the other side, time doesn't really exist and everything is happening all at the same time. So if everything is happening at the same time, maybe you just plugged into two di- different time zones and experienced different things. Right. Obviously, everybody's NDE is unique to them. There's not right. There's not two of them that are exactly the same. And no,
1: I haven't come across. I've come across little similarities. I pick up on. I hear. I say, "Well, right. that sounds like my story," mm-hmm. but not. Yeah, not in its entirety,
0: but little pieces. Do you feel like those experiences are more real than being alive here on Earth? In some sense, there's just there's
1: a there's a an expanded clarity of vividness to some of this stuff that's so real, you know, that it's, I don't know. It's three dimensional, Mm -hmm. you know, the colors are different. The colors are vibrant, the clarity. um, And the thing is, is like I said, part of it is, you're not, I don't ever remember really thinking of anything while this was going on. I'm just accepting where I am, and what comes next. I'm not pursuing it. I'm not asking for anybody to do anything for me. The one guy asked to show me the way out, but I'm not expecting anything from anybody. I'm not asking. It's just kind of unfolding. And, you know, there's I heard a, a unique uh, description that to the best of our ability, we've come up with this idea that the universe started with the big bang. You know, it was a big bang and everything exploded from there. And, you know, here we are today right but if you follow that that same theory through like we said everything's happening at once we're still part of the big bang it's still going it hasn't stopped it never will stop you know and it ties back to this continuation of life thing you know like bob dylan bob dylan was born long before i was born and he'll be here long before long after i'm dead it just keeps going And life is the same way it just it's just a life. It's not our life. I, I identify with me, this guy here, Tim Norton. But it's not really me, you know? It's just another life and there's other lives and there's other people who live and, and, and they die and they come back. There was an interesting story I read on the internet. And I wished I'd have saved it. It was a while ago, it was years ago. But a guy writes and it's sort of a sort of like a long poem or short story or a poetic story or whatever. Seven or eight chapters but he writes it from, it starts out like a, a, like from a childish perspective from they're little children and they're playing and they're having fun and they're enjoying everything and they're eating well and they do what they want to do and they get up when they want to get up and life is just couldn't be better. The weather's beautiful. And midway to three quarters of the way through it, the subject comes up that so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, a couple of the People. Well, it sounds like they're children when we first start reading, but then as it develops, you find out that they're actually adult, but they're living like a childlike existence. And some of this experience was kind of childlike. You know, you just go along with it. You don't question why. Why we gotta go to snow, Mom? We just go. You know, we just go. But midway through, or three quarters of the way through the story, some of the people have to go back, and it's the most depressing, traumatizing thing that they can hear. They dread it. They know, they remember, they have a, They have memories of the experience of, of going back to a normal life, the trials and tribulations, the struggles, the frustrations.
0: <clears throat>
1: and it's the worst thing that can happen to them. They, they all dread it. And towards the end, a couple of them have to leave, and, and it turns into sort of a sad story. And it's, you know, he doesn't use the word reincarnation But I think that's what he's alluding to. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Did I say that right? Mm. He kind of infers that they get reincarnated and they have to go back and they don't want to go back. And it comes back to that, that part I talked about earlier, whether you're dead for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, an hour, whatever. What is that called? What's that time period called? Because it's a time, it's a time period. I don't know how long it is. I, I wished it would go on forever for eternity, because it's it feels so good. It feels good to be happy and blissful, no worries, no fears, no cares. Mm-hmm. What is it called? And, and this guy, as best I've ever seen, describes it in this his story, short story, or poem, or whatever it was, that there's a place that we go. It's wonderful. It's
0: joyful. I, you know, I guess people would call it heaven would be a word. But in that time period, was it all black or black light or white light? Or were you in a heavenly, amazing, beautiful place? It was, it was all those things.
1: Inside the Basilica was dark. It was a big, heavy, older building. It was probably a little bit damp, you know. Um, it was comfortable, very comfortable. But when I got to Louisiana, it was beautiful. sunshine. Uh, I was on the bayou. Had the the that moss hanging off the trees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so picturesque. I, I want to. I'm, I'm a photographer. I wish I was a better filmmaker, but I want to. I want to make that film of that. You know, mm-hmm. with the with the drone and some of the. My perspective was almost like having a drone to be able to see around. You know, from up above this, and then I'm in the house, and then I'm upstairs, and then I'm in the bedroom talking to this guy. So. There was different in California, it was mostly daytime. It was mostly beautiful, like California is, but it was also nighttime. You know, there was, there was nighttime too. So it was day and night. Um, when it was day, it was beautiful. The sun felt great. Um, I never felt
0: cold or uncomfortable, or uh, there was no pain. I am going to have to switch gears with you, Tim, because I'm running out of time. Okay. And you mentioned that you're a photographer. Mm-hmm. If anybody would like to check out your work, where would they see that?
1: Okay. Most of my stuff, I've, what I've done is, I, like everybody else, I was on Facebook under Tim Norton, me, right? I put on there. All my family and friends, oh, they like my stuff. Oh, it's great, right? But what I did recently <sighs> is um, to transition that to what's called pirate radio. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's the old ecology flag. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that from the 70s. It was a green and yellow and white ecology flag and it had a peace sign on it. And I use that as my logo. I'll send you a copy of it. And we can hopefully put it onto to uh, whatever, onto the final product after you edit. But it's called Pirate Radio. And, I'm, and on Instagram, I'm under Pirate Radio WP because I use WordPress to make all this stuff. Yeah. So I had to add WP because Pirate Radio was saying, so it's Pirate Radio WP. Instagram, Pirate Radio on Twitter. And there's another photographer's site called ViewBug. I'll send you the link to that ViewBug. And it's uh, slash member slash Pirate Radio. Hmm. So I'm sort of transitioning all my stuff to that. I have a couple NFTs. I don't even want to get into that because I don't think I even understand it, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. how crazy it is. Yeah, But it's a way to sell artwork, um, non-fungible tokens. Some people will know what it is right other people go what the hell is he talking about and and i'm i'm the same what are you talking i don't even know what i'm talking about i don't really even understand it. i'm so new to it but it's interesting and uh so I'll, I'll send that to you if you could add that just as a blurb or whatever it's not that i'm not that serious about selling stuff I'm, I'm more concerned like i said i want this message to get out there i'd like to find out if there's a connection with this black guy in louisiana i uh, Oil company, I don't really understand yet enough. The concierge who came to help me, I don't really understand either. Um, so I don't really know, but I'd like—I'd rather have this message come out and people say, well "That's you know, I was—I was fearful of death, but now that you mention this,
0: I feel better about it. I feel better that it really will be a continuation of my life." Right. If somebody wants to reach out to you and chat with you or give you answers to what you're searching for, are you open to that? And if so, how do they reach you?
1: I'm very much open to it. Tim Norton on, on Facebook, you can, I, you're can welcome to send me a message if you want. If it has NDE in it, I'll respond to it. Mm. Um, I think that's the best way. I'm on Instagram. Like I said, it's under Pirate Radio WP. I'm on Twitter, Pirate Radio if, um, I, I welcome it. I enjoy, I, 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 talk about it a lot, you know, or I'm, at least I'm now I'm talking about it. There it goes again. Right. Yeah. I'm losing my camera.
0: Well, Tim's battery is dying and I'm out of time as well. Perfect. But I want to say, Tim, thank you so much for joining us and I really wish you the best.
1: Okay. I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Uh, like to say, if somebody wants to reach out, I'm, I'm open to the idea. Um, and, uh, again, thank you for inviting me on and, uh, I had a good time. All thank right. you.
0: Thank you. And have a wonderful evening. Okay. YouTube, Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks, depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.